0: This is The Sidebar for the week of April 21st, 2017. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Our guest this week is Niall Gardner. He is a former aide to British Prime Minister Thatcher and now the director of the Heritage Foundation's Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom. We talked with him about Brexit and the upcoming general election in the UK.
1: You've got the Labour Party on life support. And so one of the biggest questions is going to be how, how big is the defeat for Labour? I, I think it's going to be uh, the, the scenario here.
0: Gardner, so much news coming out of Great Britain this week, but the motivating factor, the driving force, has been the issue of Brexit. How did the UK get to this point?
1: Well, it all, of course, began with the, um, the stunning uh, referendum result. June 23rd last year, Britain held a historic referendum on its uh, future membership of the European Union. By uh, nearly 52% to 48%, the British people decided to leave the EU. Uh, And two years from now, Britain will be fully outside of the European Union. Uh, And of course, this historic uh, referendum vote was based upon, I think, many decades of discontent among the British public with the European Union. Uh, And I think that for most British people, the EU had become um, really controlling, um, interfering in the lives of ordinary Britons, uh, with a huge amount of... um, I'd say control over <clears throat> British laws, uh, British regulations, uh, the British economy uh, on a wide range of fronts. I think the the uh, the growing view among the British public was that it was time to throw off the shackles of the European Union and become a free sovereign nation once again.
0: And you think this is a good thing for Great Britain?
1: Yeah I, I do. I, I do think that uh, it was the right decision actually for uh, for the British people to leave uh, the European Union. After all, if you want to be a, a truly free sovereign nation, you can't be a member of the EU. I mean, The EU has evolved into a supranational uh, body. Um, you can't control, for example, your own borders, actually, as a member of the European Union. You can't decide who comes into your country from other parts of the EU. Uh, you can't make your own free trade deals. Um, about two thirds of British law is uh, decided in Brussels. Uh, and and so Britain, which has a, a great history as a, um, you know, as a tremendously successful uh, country, uh, as a nation that at one time, of course, uh, held sway over about a third of the world. Um, in recent decades, Britain had become, I would say, um, a far less free country. And, uh, you know, the British people want to decide their own destiny. They want to have complete freedom to control their own borders, to... Uh, negotiate free trade deals across uh, across the world, and of course, to decide their own laws. Uh, and you can only do that outside of the European Union.
0: I want to come back to the mechanics of what it means for Great Britain, but let's talk about the announcement on Tuesday by the British Prime Minister, a surprise announcement, elections on June the 8th, called a snap election. What led to this and what does it mean for the Conservatives and for the Labour Party?
1: Uh, yes, I mean, a very, very interesting decision by Theresa May after she had made a series of denials, actually, over the past few weeks, saying that she was not interested, actually, in calling a, an early general election. I think what prompted um, this move by by Theresa May um, was a, a series of polls over the past um, few days uh, which have indicated that the Conservatives uh, are way ahead of the Labour Party. And at the moment, um, the, the government has a working majority of only about 17 seats in the House of Commons um, projections show that if the Conservatives do well uh, in the June 8th election, that the Conservatives should have uh, a working majority of around 68 seats, and they would, in fact, be about 200 seats ahead of the Labour Party. Um, and, and so the Conservatives would be in a stunningly good position, actually, to um, push through with its Brexit uh, agenda. And at the moment, um, with such a slim... Overall, working majority—it's—it's it's a rather precarious um, situation actually for the um, uh, for the government on many fronts. So, uh, a robust showing in the June eighth general election for Theresa May and for the Conservative Party would give them far more power actually to do what they they want to achieve in terms of. Uh, the Brexit agenda.
0: Well, explain that. What yeah. do they want to achieve? How would that empower the Conservative right. Party and the British Prime Minister? And what does it mean moving forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, you have basically two years of very, very tough negotiations with the with the European uh, Union, and um, the government, of course, has vowed to push ahead with with Brexit regardless of um, the the deal that is struck with the EU. And so. Um, the government would be prepared, for example, to take Britain onto uh, WTO trading rules, actually, if they don't get the deal they want with the European uh, Union. So um, it's certainly going to be a tough couple of years. But if if indeed the, um, the Conservative Party has, um, or the British government, has a significantly bigger majority, it gives them far more, I would say, power within the House of Commons um, to push through with its Brexit agenda. And so... The prospect of some kind of, um, you know, growing rebellion against the government would be greatly, greatly reduced. Actually, with a um, with a general election on June eighth.
0: From your um, standpoint, of, is yeah. Theresa May the right person to be leading this effort?
1: Yeah, I think actually Theresa May has um, done extremely well as Prime Minister. She was a surprise choice for Prime Minister because she had, in fact, not campaigned for Brexit. Uh, she had been on the Remain side and she had sided with David Cameron uh, and, of course, Cameron had vociferously opposed Brexit. Um, but at the same time, Theresa May was careful not to um, campaign aggressively for the Remain side um, and so she didn't alienate the Brexit uh, uh, members of Parliament. Um, and uh, with a um, with a divided... Um, uh, Brexit camp. Actually, in the aftermath of the um, of last year's June 23rd uh, referendum, Theresa May uh, emerged really as a consensus candidate. Um, she has a very strong record as a, or uh, um, well, she had a strong record as a government uh, minister, um, and many uh, MPs saw her as someone who could lead the Conservative Party um, and unite the party. Uh, in a very strong fashion. I think she's done that. Um, I do think she is a leader who's demonstrated tremendous uh, resolve. Um, she's been fully committed to the Brexit process, respecting the will of the British people, and that's very important. And I think, uh, you know, in some ways, just as Margaret Thatcher did, um, Theresa May appeals to uh, Middle England. She has a good sense of the pulse, the beating heart of Middle England. That's important, I think, for a British Prime Minister who wants to lead the country at a time of uh, tremendous transition with Brexit.
0: Now, Al Gardner, let's go back to the mechanics of what this means. If you are a, a, a producer of any product that wants to continue to sell that product to Europe, can British companies still do that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, uh, you know, post-Brexit, um, the British economy is going to continue to do very well. It's already the... Uh, the leading G7 economy in terms of economic growth. Um, Brexit has not resulted actually in a you know, reduction of foreign investment into the United Kingdom. Um, Britain has by far the strongest major economy uh, in Europe uh, and the reality is as the world's fifth largest economy, Europe needs trade with Britain. It needs British investment um, it needs um, you know, goods and services flowing freely. And so I think that uh, you are going to see, I mean, my, my view is you are going to see a, uh, you know, a good deal struck between Britain and the European Union. Both sides do need each other. Um, I would argue that Europe needs Britain more than the other way around, actually. But um, Really? Yeah, I mean, after all, I, I think that only about uh, 8% or so of British um, companies, in fact, do business with the European Union. Um, and so, you know, the idea that uh, Britain is sort of entirely dependent on the EU is really a is really a myth. E- the EU is important, of course, for British um, uh, trading interests, and I think about forty, you know, seven percent of overall British uh, trade is with the European Union. But less than ten percent of British companies actually do business with the um, with the EU. Um, and so, um, it's in the interests of both. Britain and the European Union, actually, to negotiate a good agreement here. Uh, and my my hope is that we are going to have um, a high degree of pragmatism from EU leaders um, keen to do a deal rather than to enter into some sort of uh, uh, you know mean-spirited uh, arrangement with with Britain. That's not in Europe's interests. Uh, and I, I would hope that EU leaders will do all they can to ensure that you know, trade, investment, et cetera, continues to flow between, between Britain and, and the EU.
0: We talked with Mark Phillips, uh, CBS News London correspondent. His analogy was Brexit was similar to a divorce. The proceedings now going on, as you point out, over the next two years. Uh, what has to happen if you use that divorce analogy? What are the legal issues uh, between the EU and Great Britain?
1: Yeah, it has been compared to um, a divorce and it's important to bear in mind just how deep rooted, actually, the um, you know the European Union has become in terms of you know British um, uh, regulations, laws, legislation, etc. Uh, and to uh, extricate Britain from uh, over forty years of arrangements with the European Union is going to be um, undoubtedly a tough process. It's going to be a um, hard-fought process. Um, and in order to uh, fully, um, uh, I, I would say, remove European Union uh, law from British law, is, is going to take time. Um, and I think that the, you know, the British government is under no illusions with regard to just how hard these negotiations are going to be. Um, and uh, I, I do hope that this will be um, a an amicable divorce, actually, between. Uh, the EU and and Great Britain, and I think it's in the interests of both sides for an amicable arrangement to be uh, to be made. But one thing is certain: um, the British government is firmly committed to uh, what is known as a hard Brexit. In other words, Britain will not remain part of the uh, the single market. Uh, Britain will not um, have its uh, borders, for example, controlled by by the European Union. Um, there will no longer be the free movement of, uh, of um, people between uh, Britain and the European Union. Britain will control who comes into the country from the EU. And so I think that um, there are very clear red lines being set on both sides here, uh, which, which I think will result in tough negotiations. But I think at the end of the day, this will be in the best interests of both Britain and, and the European Union.
0: And yet the UK will remain in the G7 and will remain a NATO member, correct?
1: Oh, of course, yeah. I, you know, I'm uh, Britain will remain um, a major global player. In fact, I would argue that Brexit results in an even stronger Britain on the world stage. Um, and um, without a doubt, I'm Britain will remain fully committed to its uh, global commitments. It will be a very powerful member of the NATO alliance. Um, it will continue, of course, to be... Uh, a permanent member of the UN Security Council, member of the G7. Um, I would say that, you know, with the greater level of independence that Britain has, Britain can be a more forceful operator on the world stage. We've already seen that with regard to Britain's dealings with Russia, where Britain is by far the uh, the toughest opponent of Vladimir Putin in Europe today. And um, even in the, you know, the recent... Um, uh, You know, discussions we saw over Syria, for example, and Britain took a far harder line against Moscow than other European countries. Uh, And uh, the British government pushed for additional sanctions against Moscow, which were rejected actually by the Germans, the French, and the Italians. Uh, So so the idea that uh, with Brexit, Britain is going to be softer towards Moscow simply isn't true. Quite the opposite is the case, actually. And
0: so with all of this going on, and all of this background, the elections now scheduled for June 8th, I want to talk to you in a moment about yeah. what that campaign will look like. But explain what is happening in Scotland.
1: Yeah, well, of course, Scotland um, voted uh, against Brexit. And um, in fact, Scotland saw the highest levels of opposition to to Brexit other than some parts of um, of inner London, for example. Uh, and um, so the Scots certainly have overall a different view of Brexit compared to uh, most English voters. Uh, having said that, uh, at least a third of Scots voted for Brexit. And so there is a sizable minority in Scotland that b- b- backs Brexit. Um, there have been renewed calls by the Scottish Nationalist Party for uh, another referendum on Scotland's membership of the United Kingdom. Um, the last vote, of course, uh, was emphatically won by the um, pro uh union side Um, I think it was a 55-45% vote in favour of staying uh, as part of the United Kingdom Um, the latest polling indicates that um, around uh, 55% of Scots wish to remain part of the UK even with Brexit Um, and so if another referendum were to be held I don't think the result would be uh, significantly different to the last referendum held a couple of years ago Uh, so for the Scottish Nationalists it's a big gamble um, and if uh, Theresa May agrees to uh, holding a second referendum on Scottish membership of the United Kingdom, I would expect the Scottish Nationalists to, again, to lose pretty heavily, actually. And if they do lose, well, um, that would probably result in the downfall of Nicola Sturgeon, the, the leader of the Scottish Nationalists. Um, but what the uh, the Scottish Nationalists are doing at the moment is they're um, they're basically... Um, reaching out to uh, a wide range of European Union leaders uh, to get their backing um, for EU membership if indeed um, uh, if Scotland left the United Kingdom. Um, a big issue, of course, of Scots would be uh, the issue of whether they could rejoin or whether they could become part of the European Union. And so they've launched a big sort of diplomatic campaign in European capitals at the moment to try and secure European support. Um, and, um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, various European countries respond to this. Uh, and uh, significantly, Spain, uh, for example, which had at the last referendum talked about vetoing Scottish membership of the European Union. Spain is now uh, offering quite a different approach because they are trying to stir up uh, tensions over Gibraltar, of course, a British overseas territory on the uh, on the edge of Spain. Uh, and Britain has made it one hundred percent clear that Gibraltar will remain British, and there will be no um, no deal struck with Spain. And so, in retaliation, the Spanish are, I think, stirring up um, uh, the Scottish nationalist issue. And so, there are all sorts of dynamics that work across Europe, uh, highly complicated, uh, you know, scenario. But my sense is that you know Scotland will not be leaving the United Kingdom. With or without a, you know, referendum, I, I don't, I don't think that there is public support for a Scottish exit from the UK.
0: Let me follow up on a couple of points. You touched on immigration and the impact it will have in Great Britain. Uh, what could we see that would be different?
1: Um, I think that um, you know, with regard to um, uh, regard to immigration, um, I, I don't think that. Um, you know, Brexit is going to fundamentally change the fact that, you know, Great Britain is a highly attractive place for highly skilled uh, talent. Um, Britain will continue to attract, I think, um, a lot of the brightest minds from all over the world. The big, the biggest difference now is that um, uh, the brightest talent across the world from outside of the European Union will now have a more, you know, uh, equal chance of, of uh, being able to work in the United Kingdom. Um, and so, at the moment, the system uh, discriminates in favour of EU nationals, uh, and and I think that um, once Brexit takes place, uh, the advantage that EU nationals have will be uh, will be removed.
0: And what yeah. about the future of the European Union? Will it be around in twenty, twenty five years?
1: Um, you know, it's it's very hard to predict what's going to happen with the uh, with the European Union. Um, I think that um, uh, the EU can move in a number of possible directions. Uh, one possible direction which is being pushed forward by both France and Germany at the moment is towards the greater centralisation of power, moving towards a sort of uh, you know, European superstate. That may be the direction that we could see the EU moving in the coming years. I, in my view, that would be a big mistake, but that's certainly, I think, the view of Berlin and Paris. Um, but that view is strongly opposed by for example the you know the poles, the Hungarians, eastern and Central European countries who don't want to see a centralized uh, Europe. and so we are seeing the uh, the development of competing poles of power now within the EU. Um, on the other hand uh, we could see um, uh, the EU beginning to uh, disintegrate bit by bit. Brexit may be the beginning of the fragmentation of the European Union with Uh, further countries holding uh, referenda in the coming years on EU membership. Uh, Polling suggests that in many European countries support for the EU is sort of wafer thin. Um, And so you can't rule out the possibility, for example, in the next uh, few years of, say, countries like Sweden, Denmark, for example, Holland, Ireland, uh, voting on EU membership. And those votes would be extremely close, uh, I I would think. Also, a lot hinges on the outcome of the French uh, presidential elections, um, first round coming up very shortly. Um, two of the uh, the leading uh, candidates, uh, uh, Marine Le Pen and Jean Luc uh, Mélenchon, are uh, are opposed in principle to EU membership for France. Um, and that would be so, significant. Yeah, and so if either of those ascended to uh, the the Elysee Palace, um, you you would see a fundamental change in French policy uh, on the European Union. If France were to hold a referendum and actually withdraw from the EU, that would be the end of the European project. Uh, and uh, because after all, the European project really is a, a Franco-German project. and if the French were to leave, I think it would be all over. Um, and so there are there are many many scenarios that could could come about um, but um, but certainly you can't rule out the possibility of uh, a French referendum on the EU and a French exit. That is a possibility at the moment. I'd say, on balance, uh, with regard to the French elections, um, you are more likely to see, um, uh, I think, uh, Emmanuel Macron as the um, uh, as, as the figure who comes out of this as the uh, as the next French um, president. But um, and Macron, of course, is very pro-EU. Uh, but you just can't rule out, um, you know, other scenarios emerging. Uh, in France, there's so much public discontent at the moment, so much fear as well, with regard to the security situation in France and the rise of Islamist terrorism, that we could we could see an unexpected result from the French election. We can't rule it out.
0: And you made reference to yeah. the the next two years, the process yeah. involved with Great Britain. What are the benchmarks? What will you be looking at?
1: Yeah, I think that um, you know, I think you have to look at benchmarks both. Um, in Europe and, and on the world stage. So for example, on the world stage, um, Britain will start to negotiate a series of free trade agreements, even as an EU member, it's going to start the discussions. Um, and those discussions will uh, begin very shortly with the United States, uh, for example. And, uh, and the British government is already talking to about, I believe, 55 countries about a you know, free trade agreements. And so I think one by one, you'll start to see these deals being um, uh, taking shape. They can only be implemented once Britain, of course, leaves the European Union. So I I think that on the US side, for example, the big thing to look for is a US-UK free trade deal, uh, which could even be implemented within 90 days of of Britain leaving the European Union two years from now. I think in Europe, um, you are going to see, you know, a series of sort of marathon summits and negotiations taking place over the course of the next two years. Um, And uh, it will be interesting to see just how much ground European Union leaders give uh, in these negotiations. At the moment, the French and the Germans are playing hardball. Um, But um, it will be very, very interesting to see uh, the degree to which European leaders are willing to um, uh, be pragmatic and willing to concede ground to Britain in the interest of getting a, a you know a good trading agreement between um, between the UK and the European Union, uh, and um, and let's not forget that you know the UK um, its population is expected to rise to about 80 million people uh, you know within the next half century or so, uh, Germany's population will fall from 80 million to about 65 million. Um, the UK's economy will overtake Germany's by 2030, according to uh, various projections. And so, you know, Britain will be within the next, you know, 15 years the biggest economic power by far in Europe. And so, uh, I think that this is a time when European leaders need to focus minds and um, and negotiate in good faith, without spite and without malice. Uh, and they will find, I think, on the British side, a willingness to. Uh, you know, to work closely with European partners, provided that there is the you know the the respect given by uh, by Europe.
0: And oh, by the way, there's going to be an election on June the eighth. So let me conclude with that. What's it going to look like?
1: Yeah. Um, well, June eighth is, is going to be um, an extremely exciting day. I think you're going to see a big turnout in this this election um, because. What Brexit has done is it's greatly energized um, uh, British conservatives. I think that Brexit has been a tremendous unifying force for the conservative parties. I think you're going to see conservative voters turning out in large numbers. The latest poll show the conservatives, um, you know, polling 43 to 45 percent or so. Uh, the Labour Party's polling at 23 percent. We could be seeing actually, um, you know, the I don't like to call it the, the death of the Labour Party, but you've got the Labour Party on life support. And so one of the biggest questions is going to be how how big is the defeat for Labour? I, I think it's going to be uh, the, the scenario here. Are we going to see the Labour Party scraping 20% of the vote in a general election, which would be absolutely stunning? This is the party of Tony Blair that just, you know, 15 years ago looked unassailable. Uh, and, um, you know... Even just over a decade ago, people had written off the Conservative Party as, as uh, you know, as a dinosaur. Uh, pundits were saying the Conservatives could never be in power again. Well, now they are completely in the driving seat. And I think what we are going to see is a Theresa May uh, government return to office with uh, tremendous um, uh, new authority uh, and, and a big majority.
0: Before we let you go, where's home for you originally?
1: Well, I mean, I, I've lived in, you know, various parts of of the UK. I've lived in London and I've lived in Oxford. I've lived in the West Country. Um, and um, and I think that, um, you know, what I would say, I mean, you know, having uh, you know spent um, a great deal of time on both sides of the Atlantic is that, you know, b- both Britain and America are, are countries that... Um, you know, play a crucially important role in terms of leading the free world. And so what happens in Britain is, is very, very important for the United States. The special relationship is is extremely um, is extremely important for both countries. Uh, and I think that if we have a stronger government in Britain uh, with a successful Brexit, that's good for America. It's good for the American people. And so I think that, you know, the outcome of this election is very important, actually, for not only for the British people, for th- but for the people of the, of the United States as well.
0: Niall Gardner, who is the director of the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom at the Heritage Foundation here in Washington, D.C., thank you for your time.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to C-SPAN's The Sidebar. Be sure to follow C-SPAN and C-SPAN Radio on Twitter, and let us know what you'd like to hear about in future episodes by using the hashtag C-SPAN Sidebar. If you like the program, please like, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. By the way, every C-SPAN podcast is available on the free C-SPAN radio app for Apple and Android devices, as well as Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.